0: Hello and welcome to this week's Property Matters, a show that brings global trends to an Irish audience to help shape your knowledge of the industry. You can contact us on Twitter at iPropertyRadio or by email at hello at iPropertyRadio.com. Your hosts today are Brian Fox, myself and...
1: Thank you, Brian. OK, um, just a quick roundup of the week. It's been confirmed that the Housing Department will not meet its targets under Rebuilding Ireland for the third consecutive year. Um, interestingly, the Irish Independent reports today that women and retirees are now being targeted for heavy plant machinery um, construction jobs as the global labour crisis bites. Um, and also, which might be of interest to developers and contractors out there, NAM looks set to partner with developers to build homes in um, Poolbeg, the 15-acre site in Poolbeg West in Dublin. So the agency will begin looking for partners to develop this controversial site within the next six to eight weeks and it's just important to note there that On Board Plan All has already approved plans for the land involving offices, shops, schools, amenities and supports for up to three and a half thousand new homes and we might get into this later on in the show but um, the breaking news here is that Dublin City Council shoots down Johnny Ronan's bid to increase the height of Dockland's development after a stint in the High Court earlier or late last week so we might return to that but in the meantime
0: Brian you might tell us what was going on in the Dáil. Thanks Carol yeah an interesting week there was only two topics actually that was debated or discussed in the, in the Dáil as such. Now this one is rather um, intricate it's to do with the uh, so called vulture funds and uh, Deputy Michael Harty of the Rural Independent Group had a private members motion calling on stricter regulations for what they called the vulture funds before the Doyle on last Thursday. Now, in a speech to the Doyle, he was roundly critical of the funds, which are typically pension funds or investment funds. He was also very critical of Fine Gael in that, and I quote this the programme for a partnership government commits to providing protection for distressed mortgage holders and borrowers, tenants, and small to medium enterprises whose loans have been sold or transferred to non qualified, non regulated, excuse me, entities, which effectively are vulture funds. And that's the end of quote. He also went on to say that Finnegal, the Fine government has not lived up to his, commit, to his commitment on this. Uh, Deputy Thomas Pringle also chimed in. He said the Central Bank of Ireland's report on the effectiveness of the Code of Conduct on mortgage arrears in the context of the sale of loans by regulated lenders, which was actually sent to the Minister for Finance in February of 2018, should be given legislative force to ensure that all parts of the Code are expressly admissible in repossession hearings. One has to wonder," he said, "why this has not been done already. It must be—it sh- must surely uh, uh, be—to give the banks the leeway to do what they're doing. And then um, Pascal Dunwool was also there as well, and a long contribution to the debate. He said that the Land Conveyancing Law Reform Act of 2018 is being reviewed at the moment, and the Code of Conduct on Mortgage Arrears have all contributed to a significant amount of mortgage restructuring uh, to alleviate our citizens from dif- from difficulty he concluded by saying that he'll continue to work with those who want to be constructive on this and to see if there are ways in which we can continue to get the balance right. Those who are in difficult need to be and must be treated fairly. Now, um, Michael McGrath, the Finnfold uh, Finance Spokesperson, raised a very good point in that the banks will come to come before the ha- these houses in the form of the Joint Committee on Finance, Public Expenditure and Reform and TESA, and they will allow themselves to be held to account. They reply to their very detailed questionnaires and send them in advance of their appearance before the committee. Then they come in and maybe a four or five or six engagement with members. Members of the committee, they will answer the questions to a greater or lesser extent. But there is no such cooperation from the investment funds. And finally, on this story, the major problem seems to stem from the fact that the European Central Bank wants to cut the number of non-performing loans. But due to a definition of non-performing loans, they loans that loans that, that aren't in good shape have been sold off as well as good ones. So it's a difficult one. And just finally and that to make provision for ease of access to a housing ad- adaptation grant for people with disability for those applicants qualifying for the same and to provide for related matters was debated. Essentially it allow for 71, billion, 71 million excuse me, euros to be spent on housing modification for people with disability and cuts out a lot, lot of red tape for those basically or those applying for it. It'll be up for discussion with the committee and come back before the door shortly.
1: Okay, thank you Brian. You saved the reputation of our politicians with that final story there because that's something mm-hmm. we've been waiting for and, and very welcome and I think homeowners who have been looking and in fact um, tenants who have been looking for this grant that's a very positive thing so we'll actually let that fighting over the language of investment funds and cuckoo funds and vulture funds we'll let that slide because they've had a they've had a late win with the amendments to
0: the oh home. yeah, yeah. Yep. The so that we let that yeah, yeah.
1: Now in studio today, I'm delighted to be joined by Eddie O'Driscoll and Helen O'Keefe, directors of Auctionera, that's it. An online estate agency. So mm. you're both very welcome. I'm delighted that you're both here today because this is and uh, this is something that I'm so interested in, and the commentary has been so mixed that I'm interested to hear what's actually going on on the ground. Yeah. So look, Helen, we'll start with you. You might mm. just tell us a
2: little bit about Auctionera. Sure, absolutely. Thank you for having us today, Carl. And um, we're delighted to be here. So. Carol, um, Auctioneer is a fixed price estate agency, we're fully licensed and regulated by the PSRA, so the only difference really I suppose with us in comparison to a traditional estate agent is the price of €1,299 plus VAT and I I think our USP is our price but we provide everything that you need to sell your property um, that another agent would provide. Let me just
3: jump in there because you introduced us as, as an online estate agent and I think I think that's a little bit of a, a, a misnomer in that I guess every estate agent uses the internet as a tool to sell their properties but very good, yeah. we're very much a, a, a hybrid or you know we use the internet but our agents still go out to meet you we still do viewing so we're not in the in the the style of we'll say um a doorsteps in the UK where like mm. literally they're just taking your photographs putting them on daft in my home so online estate agency it would take a little bit of an issue with it and that we the only difference between ourselves and a regular regular traditional uh, estate agent is that uh, the price as, as Helen alluded to there so um we're we use the internet but we're not exclusively online we do everything else So that until
1: fixed fixed price, oh. sir. Yeah, a fixed price exactly. fixed price I mean that that is yeah, the, yeah. The,
3: the the main thing is fixed price it's not uh, like typically as, as you're aware if you're selling your property with um, an, an, I don't know the correct term a traditional agent call it mm. um, you're typically being charged maybe 1% 1.5% so if you're selling property for 350,000 euro you're spending maybe 5,000 euro plus marketing fees and so forth which I suppose when and I think we'll be talking about uh, prop tech later on when, when we really drill down into the cost of efficiently providing that service and go through all of the steps from photography free, the initial on-site visit, the valuation the viewings, the, fo- the DAF the My Home listing etc. We felt that by leveraging some of our maybe um, technology and so forth and efficiencies and um, process optimization, that we could squeeze that price right down and we use technology and we use the internet to do it but there are some parts of the process that you just can't put online so we still have to send an agent out to meet yeah. every one of our yeah. vendors obviously. Yeah. So we still, still a have- personal touch them, Absolutely, yeah, you have to and, and you know uh, at the initial meeting with our agents, one of the things that were at pains point, hand the business card over. In mm. other words, if, if someone wants mm. to send their agent a text or give them a call, you know, that, that's absolutely fine. You know, we'd encourage that if you want to check what's going on. Um, so, as I say, we leverage technology, but it's not. Um, it's not what I, you, I think anonymize. I suppose
2: one of the fundamentals of how we started auctioneer or why we started it was that we wanted to bring an injection of transparency but also fairer price, so we bring transparency because we can show people the offers online. Now, are you using an online bidding platform, or have
1: you so, got so your we own? So we
3: built one from scratch, and that's important. So, yeah. in other words, um, like we started with a blank, so we'd, we'd have developers, and we'd have, in past life, we were part of a, we'd a digital marketing firm, so we, we'd work with developers and...
1: Can, can I just interrupt to ask, actually, what is your past? How did you come into mm-hmm. this? Yeah, yeah, so so we, we had a digital marketing, yeah.
3: and, and I suppose, as part of that, we worked with SMEs and larger mm. companies to um, with developers um, all of the time and constantly looking at the, the most efficient way to, to to get things done. So it was in, in that context then that we we looked at I suppose a lot of what we perceived to be inefficiency. So for example the, the obvious one that we're always known for is the, the online bidding. So you ask us did we do did do we rent the platform we would build that like that that, that wouldn't even occur to us to go out and look for someone else's platform. So we We would have decent developers. We would get onto them. We would- So do you
1: have that operational? at the moment? Yeah, in-house.
3: Yeah, Exactly. So auctioneer is, is, I'm not going to call it an online bidding platform, but you can go onto our website and you can place offers. So you can go onto auctioneer.ie, you can click properties for sale, you can see the asking price, you can see the current highest offer of every property. We just can't see why that would be a secret, why that wouldn't be online. And we just, when when we looked at it and personal experience of buying and selling property, the concept that I had to call up the agent and say, what's the offer? And then he'd say, it's this. And I'd say, okay, I'll do that plus a thousand and then I'd be left sitting around yeah. and then he may or may not call me back and then he'd call me back and say it's gone to this plus two thousand and I just said this cannot be the yeah. right way to do it I mean th- that just strikes you as, as insanity in, in our view of the world so we said put it all online and I mean we, we do have people saying to us God you have some properties on there that have no offers are you not you know, embarrassed know that are you absolutely not loads of agents have properties <laughs> that don't we put it all up there everybody can see and at the end of the, the day-
2: with property price register mm. you know the, the sold price is going exactly. to be on there anyway yeah. so this thing of hiding things away it's totally mm. irrelevant point, actually, to point. That,
1: that's a really interesting one you're saying because actually I've heard traditional estate agents use that excuse for not using online bidding platforms because so mm. frequently I'm told we're waiting for the right property to do this because the very mm. same thing they're afraid to put on properties that won't have immediate bids mm-hmm. and then it will lo- feel it
3: undermines them yeah absolutely. well
1: not just so, undermines
0: Sounds
3: but that so that about an Irish thing, or is it? Is it? Is it? Uh, is is no, there a right no, fair Irish? No, I mean, the, the, I mean, look, we looked Irish. at. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, <laughs> we, we looked at a lot of the, the, the international markets when we were starting up auctioneer, and I suppose the, the obvious market that you, you'd go straight to is the UK. Yeah. So, I mean the UK has similarly it's all private treaty sales and it was all done through the agents mobile phone you know and the agent ha- ha- had all of the power and then I suppose the likes of Purple Bricks who founded by Northern Irish um, two to Northern Irish gentlemen but they, they came along and they came in with fixed fee and then you've had a number of um competitors come in on top of them. I mean, there's still a little bit cagey about the online side of things, but we just don't see, like, what's the secret? In other words, we've nothing to hide. There's the still op- a
0: suspicion. There's yeah, still a bit of scepticism out there. There, about there, the there,
3: there is there is a huge amount of scepticism. And I suppose from from a buyer's point of view, we just found, uh, me personally being a buyer, I hated getting the call from the ven- from the agent who had... Not a vested interest, an explicit interest in the price going higher. So just put yourself in, in my shoes as a buyer. Yeah. I'm bidding. Let's hypothetically say three hundred thousand euro on a property, and I know the guy calling me back is on a commission of the final price, and he says it's gone to three hundred five. Would you put in 3010 and you might get it? And I'm thinking, is there a three hundred five here? You know. Whereas at least with auctioneer, we don't have that perverse incentive. So we let the the the, the market basically. Competitive bidding, so we ensure we're independent
0: the, the referees and yeah, independent referees of a, a
3: competitive and transparent I, I, I bidding how process. You, how did you
0: two get together? Because you're uh, director of director and office manager, and you're uh, director of auctioneers. Uh, so
3: uh, we both know, work together in in, the, in our digital marketing company. So that's yeah. That's so we our, both we,
2: our background is digital marketing, so we've always worked uh, in oh, that right. area. Yeah. 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 So yeah. then yeah. we had our other our other director, glenn henley who's who brought the uh, I the suppose the estate agency knows, so to uh, experience. So they fuse together okay. to, to form auctioneer. Into, into, yeah yeah okay. you know it's one that's one
1: thing we saw in the early emergence of prop tech or property technology most of uh, most of the change that's happened in the last three four years in property using technology or not Mm. has all been buyer led Mm. so or or consumer led Mm. and so usually that came from people who had a really frustrating experience Mm. of trying to buy or sell or rent Mm -hmm. or lease Mm -hmm. or refurbish or whatever they were doing Mm -hmm. and, and that led to the business opportunity so it it certainly sounds like you had that experience when you were buying.
3: Yeah, I mean I, I just didn't like being put in that in that position. But also from from a if you put your business hat on for a second, it's just obscenely inefficient. In other words, mm-hmm. let's suppose there's seven people because people ask us, Oh, how, how do how do you make money at, at those prices and you can't make money and so forth. Mm. But we couldn't make money if there were seven underbidders and then an eight guy came into the bidding and we had to call back the seven underbidders and then tell them all of the situation and then one of them goes up another little bit. And we yeah. call all the, all the other seven guys. So it's, it's, it's just not only is it disconcerting from a buyer's point of view, but just from a pure business process optimization point of view, put it online. So, in other words, if there's seven people bidding on a property on our website and an eight guy comes in, he makes an offer, all the seven he'd immediately get an email right, saying, Hi guys, yeah. there's a new no offer on yeah. the property. Everybody yeah. can go on and see yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and then what we do, um, one of the other um, initiatives that we introduced was that we found when we listed a property, let's say we listed at 350 hypothetically initially always the the first offer was tended to be kind of a low ball offer because there's no incentive really to offer the asking straight off the bat why would you try and look I'll chance my arm here at 300 you know and then, mm. and then it goes back and forth so we introduced um, and the thing about private treaty is it's very ill defined in terms of when does it start and when does it end so you can make an offer with an agent and say look I'll give you the 305 that, that you're looking for and they said, no problem I'll get back to you so he may or may not get back to you so what we said is look we need to bring some clarification as to when this process starts and ends so we introduced the deadline for offers so basically if someone makes an offer of the asking price if you want to our website at the moment www.auctioneira.ig Go to properties for sale. You will see that there's properties on there that have deadlines on them, so they're closing tomorrow. So it feels like an online auction. They're private treaty sales, but it feels like an online auction. But is basically that
1: the equivalent, though,
3: of going to best and final offers? Yeah, yeah. And buyers they hate those. Yeah, but the thing, but it's the thing. They hate. Them. But the thing needs to be wrapped up, though. The thing needs to be, to be does wrapped give up. It gives them at some, clarity. It gives them an end so point.
2: We get a lot of first-time buyers like ring up and they've made their offer and they have no clarity. But this allows them clarity and just there's to, an end to explain to exactly it. how. Work. Mm-hmm. so
3: let's suppose you make an offer of the asking so what we'll do is we'll put a 15 day deadline on the property at that time so you literally see it ticking down on our website so during that time then we're st- unashamedly because we do represent the vendor and we are there to get the, the market price for, for the vendor best price mm-hmm. for, for, for the vendor and um, but the, the you'll see the timer start to take down and inevitably then what we found so let's say the deadline is 8pm tomorrow mm. so what happens a lot of the time is that people will wait until 2 minutes to 8pm and they'll nip in with another thousand euro now how bit.
1: reliable your technology would want to be pretty reliable Ex- yeah. for oh, yeah, I, yeah. I very, visions fairly, of
3: eBay sniping yeah so great point and I, I'll admit it that our first few closes could have been a bit more, but we really yeah. have very good developers so the way it works is that you, you, you talk about eBay sniping so basically what happens is you put in the offer within if you put in an offer within 2 minutes of the deadline we automatically automatically add another two minutes so there's no
0: way that oh, you could pull okay. the rug from yeah, underneath someone so there's someone. been deadlines so that go yeah. to go even on 20 minutes and
2: past the hour
3: or so it's minutes. not set
0: in stone no, in other words it, well it, not yeah, two yeah we wait for a two, two
3: minute period yeah, yeah, to okay. elapse during which there's no offer and then we'll close it out so The the great thing about everybody can see what's happening. There's no, there's no secrets. You're you're putting in your offers, and if somebody goes above you, above you, you can say, okay, look, I'm walking away at this stage, or you can say, look, I'm going to go again. But from everybody's point of view, if you see a property listed at three fifty, if you offer the three fifty, you'll know in two weeks' time whether or not that's accepted or not, Very good. whereas currently your private treaty can go on and on and yeah. on. Do you
1: Do you have an option to bring that shorter? So for example, if, if I was advising yeah. a buyer yeah. and okay. they were going to offer the asking price, where's the incentive for them to do that unless the property did was did going to be taken off the table that day?
3: Yeah, so that, well, yeah, so that that day, so that that's a really Good point. So, we've had to evolve the service as we went. So, so, <laughs> initially, we were a little bit naive. So, we said, you know, the, the 15 days and everybody. So, the beauty of the 15 days from the uh, vendor's point of view is he's got the asking in the bag, so to speak, and he can kind of relax, and everything else is, is a bonus. And he's hoping we'd won close last night um, in Holywell and Swords. So, we were going into the close, and it can be very dramatic to watch them. You can tune in and watch them. So, um, but it was going into the close at the asking 305 and the vendor was happy the vendor was was getting they're asking end up at 325 she's delighted so today then uh, we're booking How
1: did it go up 20,000?
3: Just frenetic bidding at How many? Two needs
1: two people, to two to people have, have a bidding war. Two people
3: more. Went, went, went hammer and tongs at it. No
1: hold on now seriously two two bidders mm. went up by collectively 20,000 yeah, over it, the it course of what space time? 10 minutes on a 300 grand house Yeah see this is what's wrong with buyers genuinely but, but it's like buyers don't realise that we're at the top of the cycle and things, but, but things hold are on.
3: Shifting. In, in that they, they looked at that property and that property was worth 325 to them and presumably if, yeah. if the next fellow went to, who knows the next guy went to 326 but that's the market in, in, that is, that Wait, is the yeah, definition yes of it. it's two yeah. guys objectively having attended multiple viewings because they come out a few times yeah. so, this is, so we're not an online estate they come out they have a look yeah. around we show them around we answer all of their questions they're in Informed buyers, they're coming out there and look around. They're looking at all of three, market ba- three, three market forces. Yeah. So all we are doing is facilitating the market to, to, yeah. to play out, it's and it's market. open. Yes. It's free yeah. market economics. Actually. And, and to you're be in, honest,
1: I, I, I accept that that actually is the fairest way to do it. Totally. See, the problem is at the moment we've got buyers who uh, they they don't understand free market value, and in fact, what they understand is what their mortgage limit is, and they're afraid that if yeah. so, they use their limit like a target and they don't necessarily respect market value. They bid to the max they can For because they're so desperate to get a home. Well, and yeah. that's, that's not uh, your fault. That's buyer's
0: so behaviour. No words, any valid bids then? Is that, is no, no, no. The, no they're yeah.
1: perfectly valid bids. But, but as in... It, I suppose is it, is it wise bidding? That's a different question. Well, I'll, I'll put it to this way: th- these guys, we, to, we yeah. had a, a so few other
3: similar property mm. properties in Swords, so th- they were looking at all of the properties that we have, and they made the decision. So this one was really nice inside, and so yeah. on. so they wanted that property. They bid that amount, presumably they're happy with because yeah. the, they wouldn't have bid it if they weren't. Oh no. So that's, that, that's the, that's the, the definition of a, of a of a viable yeah. transaction. You know, yeah. A willing uh, buyer, a willing vendor, there's an overlap in, in the highest price that the bidder is willing to pay and the vendor is willing to accept and the transaction happens and we're just facilitating that yeah. and, and then, saving the, the vendor in that particular instance uh, in the region of about four, four and a bit thousand euros. Yeah.
1: Now, actually, for me, I can see the, I can absolutely see the benefits for the seller in terms mm-hmm. of the price I can mm. see the benefits from um, in terms of the buyer. Now mm. we've a strong uh, prop tech proponent here um, so we've looked at a lot of different online bidding platforms. We understand the, mm. that this is the way buyers and sellers want to mm-hmm. buy and sell property now so I absolutely get that. So now I have to step into the shoes of a potential estate agent who might be listening here mm. saying how can you how can you make a sustainable living hmm. charging €1,299 Euros plus fat? Yeah,
3: so that, the, and, and that's why it's great. This is a prop tech show. So in other words, basically what, what we did, with from if you look at the process from when we get the initial inquiry through our website or, or uh, phone call through to the office to when we hand over the keys to the um, buyer at the end of the conveyance, we literally looked at every constituent part of the process everything and we looked where can it be optimized so the obvious one was look we're not going to call back 700 bidders we're going to say look you you will get an email go online you so that obviously we took that co- cost out straight mm. so if we had to do that so, so you take that cost out but we took out a hell of a I made a, just a list of all of the 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 optimizations that we made so another one is so
1: tell tell we, us so we can educate the yeah, rest well, of the market well, yeah, well, to become uh, hybrid uh, agents it, 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 exactly
3: <laughs> so I will give you some like we would think nothing of spending spending 100 hours of development time to save 10 minutes in the process because it's 10 minutes times how many properties we sell. Yeah. So yeah. I'll, I'll give you the, like, the level of detail that we will go to. So for example, obviously we're photographing a lot of properties. We have really great property photographers. It's really important. They're professional prop. that's all they do is photograph properties for us. So yeah. they go out, they'll take the photographs. We're, like, we're really proud of, of our photographs. A guy called um, Neil William goes out, takes all the photographs. Brilliant guy all over Dublin to, and they're just really, really, because we think that's really important. But
1: I was actually on your website and that was something I remarked on. Yeah the on. photographs
3: are great we're really and, and, in, and in Cork as well we've got a really great guy. Are so you co-based are you? Well I, I personally am but our, our agents are in Dublin and in Cork and yeah. so we're, we're really focusing we'll on those two markets One of the country eventually
1: and, yeah, <laughs> That's what we like to
3: hear Eventually but we're, we're focusing on, on, on those two, two major marks. but just in terms of the optimization, so what we were doing and, and this might seem like a small thing to most people is the photographs were being as is normal being uploaded to Dropbox then we were downloading from Dropbox and then uploading them to our website and ultimately onto Daft and my home so basically if you think about it there, there was three steps there uploading to uh, Dropbox downloading from Dropbox back up to Ooh. our website so basically we created a, a little portal for our photographers they put them straight up onto the website where there was three steps there's no one and we've just taken them they don't go straight onto the website we've approve them but it, we've taken that ethos throughout the whole mm-hmm. process so for example I'll give you one or two further examples when our agents go out and um, meet the, the vendors um, if the vendor for they're lucky enough to choose us that they actually want to sell their property with us we need to send them as every agent does uh, a letter of engagement and those were a bloody nuisance for us we had to the agents would have to copy th- the old one it's just a contract it's a boilerplate but on each one we'd have to change the address change the name change the AMV the advice it all market value the yeah, of course. so, so the, back over heads, the agents yeah. were saying yeah. oh, you know, we've lots of vendors but I've got these bloody yeah, so basically yeah. built a little module uh, wrote a small bit of code that the agent can put in uh, just the AMV because we know everything about the property already click, generate a uh, letter of engagement send so we send through saying that we don't own that proprietarily but again we're not popping it in the post and sending yeah. it out and then they're posting it's it back. The whole time so, uh, yeah. so the vendors are No,
1: look I I think this is amazing like we work through the process of digital transformation with the mm. state agents and so many estate agents don't understand the value of spending 100 hours development time so you can exactly. save 10 minutes on every property mm-hmm. and but
3: it, and if you take that just rigor and attention to detail throughout the and it's a finite process from the start to the finish and if you take that then you can but it, it's not easy and so like we have spent thousands of hours of development it is not easy to get to a point like that price wasn't picked out out, out of the air you know so we've, we've got our photography we've got our viewings we've got we've got our, our DAF subscription our my home subscription so but if we play that rigor throughout the whole day, and and here's another point there are some things that you just you can't improve with technology so for example um Glen Henley our agent he is a people person he goes out he meets the guys he has a chat about the football he's and and we're not yeah. at all looking one yeah. of the questions that we got asked is are we looking to take the magic out of um, of auctioneering or estate agents not at all our, our agents have great chats with, with the vendors and people will still want
2: to go out and do good viewings go to view, yeah. Yeah, so like, one, you know, one example
3: was yeah, we, we, we saw an agent and, yeah. and look well, we saw an agent who put, and, and this is where we think you can't have technology for technology's sake. We need to, we need to basically say, if, if we're enhancing the experience for the buyer, the seller, we will use technology. So one quick example before I finish up is uh, we saw an agent who basically put a lot of Oculus Rifts inside in his office, and he said, you can come to our office. The Oculus is the 3D VR experience, and you can do a VR of all the properties. a viewing. But, or, uh, viewing, viewing. Uh, but our buyers would say. I'd rather actually yeah. go there so mm-hmm. in that yeah, instance you know, we have to go there the yeah. we property, have to open so no, it's not, not technology, it's technology so we don't think so we look at Oculus and we say okay that's technology it's great if you're a gamer but our buyers want to go they want to open yeah, the front door exactly. they want to yeah, walk out the back garden change. they want to have a look around and, and there's uh, no Eddie, amount of technology Eddie, you, you can, can me, get rid of that
1: you had me up until that I can tell you now straight away we've actually surveyed buyers and we've no vested interest in this mm. buyers absolutely want to be able to do virtual tours of properties before they view it so I don't think it's an either or situation. When you're doing so well on the on the technology, don't I, I, stop there.
3: But I mean, look, we we can do three D tours, but nobody's going to spend three hundred and fifty thousand on a property or, or any amount without actually going out and seeing yeah. it. So, um,
1: uh, you know, look, one thing really comes to mind here. Um, I love what you guys are doing. Mm-hmm. I genuinely cannot see how it is sustainable at that level but mm-hmm. I hope it is. I mm-hmm. genuinely hope it is because we want technology. It's damn hard.
3: I mean we've yeah, damn no, hard no. every day yeah, yeah. and, and, and no, it's tough. But, but, I fully you know, accept
1: that but I wonder is this coming from the fact that you two are not traditional estate agents? Is that I, 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 is that
3: the magic? Well I mean and, and I'm, I'm, I'm told looking at objectively not,
2: you, mean, mean, yeah. you mean yeah. Yeah I mean,
1: because you were able to come in from a marketing in, point you told of view fresh, of You yeah. weren't attached to any processes Michael O'Leary said the best
3: thing that he had when he was found in Ryanair as he had no background in the airline industry so he looked at everything with a fresh eye. now I, I just I need that, to there's a lot I need to hammer home hmm, we are not hmm. the Ryanair we've great <laughs> yeah, no, we love absolutely. our customers but I'm just I'm joined a small customer analogy we have great customer service we love our customers
1: can, can um, I just say there are worse things to be compared to
3: uh, than yeah. Ryanair I don't know at the moment there's a lot of people shorting the okay. stock and so forth Do you know honestly
1: I, I could talk about this all day unfortunately we don't have time but thank you so much for coming on Thanks today very much and coming for in to us. talk, and by the way, we are definitely going to get in and talk about this because, quite frankly, I want to see in three months' time that you're still committed to that one two nine nine and see how that's yeah, working. Yeah, and maybe yeah. we'll drill down a little bit on Absolutely. the business model yeah. Yeah. and look for even more ways to see if we can optimise with technology Absolutely. because yeah. that's yeah. exactly what needs to happen. Yeah. So, um, we Eddie, we
3: can't up the prices now unfortunately. <laughs> you're, you're
1: committed here, <laughs> yeah. okay? Eddie O'Driscoll and Helen O'Keefe of Auctionera. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. So.
0: Everything's fine our 93.9 Dublin South FM. And welcome back to Property Matters here on Dublin South FM with myself, Brian Fox and Carol Tolland. You can t- contact us on Twitter at Radio or email at hello at iPropertyRadio.com. Now i Now in the studio with Paul O'Connor. Paul is Business and Partner Development Director of Abscam. Have I pronounced that correctly, Paul?
4: Uh, ACASM. 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 Uh, yeah, A-chasm. it's Excuse an acronym me. for a much longer uh, name for the business which is Automated Critical Asset and Service Management.
0: Now, uh, just to just elaborate on that because I, well, I have looked to your website, and I found it very uh, interesting from the point of view of. I think business. I think
4: you use the word gadgets, do you, on the on the website? Yeah, I mean, um, uh, the website needs a lot of work. Um, I spent most of my time trying to develop business and meet and greet rather than developing the website. Um, the business is really uh, focused on um, looking at data analytics within the commercial property sector. To um, inform building performance and that is lighting and heating but also in terms of maintenance management and moving from what is very much traditional ppm model which is a uh, preventative plan preventative maintenance model across into a predictive maintenance model and what they're now calling Prescriptive maintenance, so there's that all that aspect. So um, data analytics really is is yeah, where right. we're
0: at. So uh, you would get your information then, or harvest the information as, the, as, the, as the word is, fr- from from what?
4: So, um, well, uh, the the European from the building from the building management system, and right. uh, that's currently in place. whether that be commercial, office block, hotels, yeah, um, dental nursing homes? Right. But the European Commission, sorry, beg your pardon, but no, the European no, no, Commission. Please. Uh, did a study, and they study uh, showed that 90% of buildings, um, building management systems are not fit for purpose. Okay. Um, what percentage? 90%. 90% yeah. Of current building stock, building management systems are not fit for purpose. They're not used properly. People. That's don't not just
1: they. old stock, as in that's
4: anything. It's anything that has a building management system in place. Any building has a building management system in place. So, and the reasons for that are uh, that buildings change usage. The occupancy changes, the personnel change, Mm. maintenance management teams change, um, buildings are not, BMS systems are not commissioned properly, very, very different reasons. I mean, in one particular case, um, I was talking to a client or potential client, they didn't know where it was so if they don't know where it is how can you manage, manage sorry
1: it? I, I don't understand you were speaking to a building manager
4: a building owner a building owner and in a particular building they didn't know where the building management system was mm. in another case how is that possible uh, yeah, well, that's a very good question I don't know the answer to that but, but they didn't know where it was in one, another case they switched, so they switched the building management system off um, so, so, so there's a there's, there's a lot of ignorance then in relation
0: to this whole I idea of building management. I think it, it, is,
4: it, is it, it it's is? it's a couple of things there. I think it's because yes, because there's a lot of ignorance in there. Because again, um, when a building management system is commissioned and those teams, those management teams or maintenance management teams are responsible for it, and they move on, they take all that knowledge with them. Okay. Um, Also, I think because uh, building management systems are very much proprietary and also designed for engineers and not generally for. So if you take a hotel, a hotel manager, he hasn't done an engineering qualification. He hasn't got a degree in in engineering at all or data analytics for that matter, but engineering. And he he is responsible for making sure that the coffee is warm. He deals with the customer guest complaints, but also has to try and manage the building management system.
1: Paul, is part of the problem here that people don't seem to understand the cost, the consequences, um, the financial consequences of turning off your building information system or, you know, is it a case that people are not equating the money that's being spent with money that's actually being wasted?
4: Yeah, I think so. I think that there's... um, it goes back to um, certainly design stage within a building, where where these this, the control element to a building is an afterthought, um, mm-hmm. and uh, where when you're specking um, a building from design stage, um, when you get to that construction phase, an awful lot of the good stuff is stripped out because of budgets. So, so you look at a building. If you look at a building from an opex and a capex perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Arguably, you should be looking at the the control elements of OPEX within the building, and that that is, is dealt with could be dealt with separately. I mean, it, it is about budgeting, it right? But it, is but is, it,
1: is then is part of the problem with your design and build teams? Um, are they perhaps not as uh, are, are they too disjointed to see this yeah, work? Yeah, absolutely. So
4: I think that there's cer- the fall down certainly in in, in where where prop takes is concerned and the current environment around data analytics. Uh, there needs to be a much more holistic uh, point of view taken um, there's an awful lot of siloed thinking um, and the systems within the building are very much siloed so nothing really integrates okay, where okay, now okay, okay. With, with the way IoT works Internet of Things and data analytics you can integrate systems an awful lot easier um, and you can take that approach right from the start um, and um, it allows you to manage the life cycle of the building an awful lot better right from, from design through to construction into management and that, that
1: but that's something that i I know certainly when I'm dealing with um engineering firms that's something they're telling me the whole um building life cycle assessment is so important that in fact you know this is something that's used to win tenders
4: yeah but 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 they're still they're still designing control systems. Um, the way they always used to design them and install them, where they 're very proprietary, so when, when you when you take a building from day one and you look at it in ten years' time it 's changed usage mm-hmm. the occupancy as we know from all the the, 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 um, the wee works of this world buildings' usage has changed dramatically mm-hmm. um, and then you 're looking at how you can manage floor space so so a system like uh, um, an IOT solution where you can layer in devices and, and, and sensors as you need them, as the building changes usage and shape and occupancy. Um, and then when that building in, in due course needs a refurb, you can strip all that, those sensors out and then redeploy them as you need them. Um, whereas current building management solutions and building automation solutions don't allow for that hmm. because they're very much proprietary. Um,
1: so does that mean you're in a situation where you're actually um, the last time you and I spoke about your services, we were talking about retrofitting older buildings, and and by older I meant anything above what seven to ten years.
4: Well, we're that's what we're currently providing is our retrofit solutions, where we will we will bolt onto a building management system system, we will upgrade to which is the, the common protocol now, the common language is Backnet, and then we will pull all that data into the cloud and allow the algorithms that are out of the box solutions in uh, for the mo- most part perform. Those analytics which allow you to optimise your HVAC better or allow you improve the, the comfort and health and well-being of the occupant in the building but also allow you to move across into that um Predictive maintenance management, where you can start to look at reversing out of contracts or deploying all your resources, uh, based on if you have a portfolio or not. But deploying resources according to uh, where you need them most or what's most critical. Um,
1: Okay, actually, can can we break that down a little bit for people maybe who aren't familiar with, um, you know, because you start by saying that, you know, this is essentially using data analytics. to measure a building's performance mm. but it goes so much further than measuring because you, you're you giving information and data that is actionable and this is where we fall into the category of maintenance no longer being planned but rather predicted. Yeah. So can you just explain the technology around that?
4: So, um, so current building management system if this is the right answer to the question will just give you um, an alert to tell you something has failed so it's very reactive so it's broken we'll go and fix it um, so when you start to move into um, gathering uh, data uh, so you're sending all your data from the end points in the building whether that be temperature humidity um uh pressure whatever those 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 metrics are um and you're starting to stream that data to the cloud you're starting to see trends and it's trends across time and this is what you're picking up yeah your trends yeah. okay good. so it doesn't matter what the device is that picks up that data it's about yeah. the data right. so you stream that and and you need to it takes a lot it takes a while so to to move across from that um, traditional approach into okay. um, condition monitoring which you're starting to see the condition of the equipment yeah you're starting to see trends on the condition of the equipment and then you on those trends you're, st- you're able to then set uh, baselines and then from there you're able to start to predict failure on equipment
1: so how long does that take
4: uh, that's a very good question
1: yeah no it's just it's something that because Look, we're at relatively early stages mm. with a lot of this technology and um, certainly the sensors that you're deploying, you know, it's something that I've I've found fascinating, you know, a, a couple of years ago when we first spoke about this. And so what I'm really interested to see is um, the pace of, essentially the pace of machine learning, you know, yeah. uh, um, artificial intelligence. Is, is that yeah, ramping
4: I mean, up? I, yeah, and I, I, I go back to quite, how long does it take, I think, I think, um, I think, Really, is about is about um, starting where the pain points are because mm-hmm. you need, and you need to start to collect that data. Um, I don't know how long it'll take, yeah. um, because it's a that's a bit that's a bit that's getting into the big data space, yeah. and, and 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 that can take a while. Um, if you've got a, a, a portfolio of buildings, it'll certainly take a lot less time than it will if you're just managing one building, because the amount of data you're gathering is a lot larger, and mm. then you can start to benchmark across your portfolio.
1: So, what kind of what kind of clients are you working with at well, the moment?
4: Yeah, good question. That's another a, good question. That's uh,
1: that's we, a, I'm on a roll. <laughs>
4: <laughs> we have just actually last Friday got. A a verbal agreement on our first contract um, well done so since we started speaking which is, is, could be going on two years maybe two there's and a half there's a lot years. of
1: research involved in that and, and I'm so aware of it and that's why I'm delighted to see actually that you're at first contract stage
4: well, and, and I've, ha- I've had verbal agreements uh, in the past but this looks quite sol- quite solid and um, uh, and and that will happen with a, a large FM company Okay. okay. Uh, I'd rather not divulge the name of the company yet but
0: Can I just put it to you, can I ask you Paul because um, I'm, I'm aware of what you're speaking about okay but I'm more I have been sort of uh, more aware I suppose of how this sort of information is used in the political ir- arena in that uh, okay. a political party will hire you yourself, how, can, how would you ad- and, and the information then is you know is, is, is broken down into areas into who votes what, but how do you apply that to your particular model
4: so so, we will tag each sensor, so we will know where it is, what it is, oh, and okay. what it's doing okay, yeah, yeah. um so we, the data that comes in will know where it's from so if you've got a sensor in a, a hVAC in a, a motor for argument's sake an hVAC piece of equipment in New York for argument's sake we as a as a sort of a virtual f m company, we could tell you where the motor is, what part of the motor right. is failing. Right. And and that can almost, in time, send an, an alert to the technician that has the credentials to fix that piece of equipment, Let's see,
0: there, there, there's where I'm at a loss because I thought that was all done. I assumed oh, not yet, that no. that you know, a light comes up and the mechanic knows straight away up to there, and it's number, but I think the problem is the when
1: the light comes up, it's that something has already gone wrong. So, what Paul's prevention, uh, um, well, predictive and prescriptive, yeah, and that's
4: and that, and that that sort of that lighting on a on a, a um. A, a board a within board, a building yeah, yeah. is 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 red or green or yeah. whatever colour. That's orange, very reactive. But yes. but it, it requires somebody to actually see that. Yes, sure. So to be there present yes. in front of it and say, yeah. yeah, it's gone red. Right. Whereas we can do that remotely. Right. Um, from from the cloud. Really. But
1: is the value in doing that before it turns red?
4: Oh, absolutely, yeah. Because because you look at. Um, before anybody notices that the the temperature has changed, the piece of equipment has failed. Um, one of the interesting areas is around uh, food spoilage, so that 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 temperature monitoring. But before the temperature starts to decrease, the motor has failed already, an hour ago. And
0: you, yes, and you've, you've you've kicked in basically. Yes, yeah,
4: so we'd be able to tell you right. weeks in advance. Right, right. Um, right. Uh, so days. it's a big
0: advantage to any. Uh, building building owners or engineers. Well say for
1: example um, you know I I remember somebody working in a large uh, food processing plant and if the refrigeration unit went down the refrigeration unit was obviously the size of you know maybe uh, one third the size of Dundrum um, town centre here that essentially it could take more than twenty-four hours to get it back up and running. Mm-hmm. So I, I presume the value is no yeah. downtime. If you know in advance, yeah. you've no uh, downtime. Absolutely,
4: and the implications, you know, moving from uh, certainly in terms of industrial and and um, uh, manufacturing end of it are in the millions. Mm-hmm. So they've got they've got very very sophisticated equipment that'll tell them months in advance right. that a bearing within a motor is going to go. Whereas if you if you come down to commercial level, the implications cost wise are not astronomical, but but the the ability to be able to monitor perf- monitor performance, but then look at that continual improvement right. and that that cycle of continual improvement yeah, um, yeah. across across your buildings is
0: is this is this? Yeah. Is this uh, have you just started in Ireland now, or has it been a long, a long time in Ireland? Or
4: um, it's well, in terms of my conversations around, around in the sector, the commercial sector, nothing's been done in this space yet. Really, um, wow! I'm I'm I'm. I'm
1: it, it, it's exciting it's genuinely yeah. well, exciting Like the, yeah. the potential yeah. is yeah. massive and yeah. look before we let you go Paul you might just say you know because I'm very conscious that this is a property show for property owners um, and managers and, and developers and construction companies contractors etc you know I, I'm conscious that what you were talking about can sound intimidating, say, for uh, for landlords who have buildings that might be 10 years plus commercial buildings. So just kind of very briefly before we finish, can you let those business owners know where to start on the journey of IoT, you know, uh, and, and AI um, for,
4: for yeah, owners I and managers? Mean, and what we're looking at typically is, is around upgrading the building management system. Uh, uh, so bolting onto that, um, but but certainly it's around uh, what are the pain points? What do you what do what are you suffering? Where are you suffering most? Energy efficiency seems yeah. to be a big part of it, um, and that's around out of hours operations. Yeah. So yeah. switching yeah. stuff and that's off.
0: Be the, that's going to be the new the new trend. Yeah. yeah, so we
4: can manage that, and they can manage remotely. Yeah. It can be managed remotely. Mm. Um, HVAC are big big costs, um, and looking at looking at the the performance of the building against the, the metrics like. Uh, occupancy, mm-hmm. but, the, but but certainly where the pain points are starting, where where your where your your spend is most, or you're trying to increase efficiencies. That's the, the starting point.
1: Okay, Paul, what's your website again, please?
4: It's uh, A-C-A-S-M M for mother.co.
1: Okay, so that's great. Paul. Listen, Paul, thank you so much. That was Paul O'Connor, business um, business and partner development director of Acasm. Thank you, thank you, you much so much for it. being with us.
0: Appreciate it. Thank you. Really well. your community radio for south dublin this is dublin south fm that's the radio station on property matters the program uh, with myself brian fox and carol tonland you can to, contact us on twitter at iproperty radio email hello at iPropertyRadio.com. and now uh, in studio again is ed burke who is founder of roomigo How's which is very topical and very good to see you again ed so um... it's, very to- it's become very topical now um with, with, with recent uh, news stories and so forth as well. But uh, maybe just go back and, and explain your what what, your, what your, basically what your service
5: is all about. So thanks very much for having me back. Great to be here again.
0: Yeah, that's actually
1: a good reminder for people that Ed was actually one of the very first guests on, yes, our, on our pilot episode back in January. So thank you so much. And co-living has not been out of the news cycle um, since you were here with us last. So thank you so much for coming in again.
5: Yeah, I think co-living has really gone into the news much more over the last few weeks because um, uh, some 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 developments are planned for Ireland so what Remigo is really all about and what co-living is all about is actually creating communities of people <coughs> it's bringing together like minded people so on Remigo you can find um, if you're looking to share with like minded people young professionals who are for example vegans you can find vegans easily and it's really all about the community aspect of it so for example, when I was living in um in Singapore, I moved to Singapore. And I, I didn't really know anybody. I was a young professional. I was in my twenties, and obviously, I wanted to live it with people, like-minded people. But because I didn't know anybody, what do you do? So back then, this was a few years ago. It was in 2013 when I moved to Singapore. There is no co-living spaces that I could go to, as in a co-living space of like-minded people, or there is no uh, no Ramigo. And living in a city can actually be um, it can be quite a lonely experience if you're a young person and, and you know nobody and you're living in an apartment on your own so uh, so, I wanted to live at, you know, with, with, with basically live with friends. So, I spent a huge amount of time going around Singapore after work in the evenings trying to find houses with people that could be my mates as well as just rather than just other people in the flat mm. because that can improve your social life because everything really starts in the home. Mm. So, that's what gave me the idea initially to uh, f- uh, start Ramigo because I thought if I want to live with, say, entrepreneurs, or sporty people, mm-hmm. or people that doing like doing this type of stuff. I like doing. I should be able to find that person let in a few minutes. Let me ask mi- you though.
0: Let me ask mm-hmm. you if um, so. If what you're what you're doing there is you're looking for your um, your own sort of small, small community uh, in terms of the city and in terms of living with someone from that community. Yeah. Okay. So, um, what's your typical profile? Would it be a sports person? Because a sports person has a natural community there in terms of sports club, in terms of mm. going to the local bar if you're living in well, Singapore. It's to, so do
5: the, it's to do with the types of people you want to share your home with so a, a co-living community in a house could be a house share with three or four people or five people or it could be a large residential development where they have 300 people or four or 500 people like they do in some co-living spaces in london so if i if i want to share my house with like-minded people and i love watching and say i like watching tennis a lot yeah and i, I want to watch the french open yeah. and that might annoy people in a house if they hate tennis they don't want to be watching okay. tennis all the time okay. or if I like watching yeah, yeah. football but they like sport yeah, sure, so, yeah. so it could be like that or it could be you know it, it could be people that you want to play sport with so you you know if you like playing tag rugby you might want to live with people that like playing tag rugby yeah. so it's it's not just about it's about what you do in a home if you want if, if you're a night owl you might want to live at night owls or if you're right. if you're right. 25 and you want to party all the time yeah. um, a 35 year old might want to live with that person
2: mm.
1: I, I think most young people particularly Will have this experience because um, certainly in in student accommodation, mm. if you speak to any of the student accommodation officers sure. in any of our universities, they'll always tell you that um you know people go into. Uh, shared space in you know in in the first couple of months, but generally speaking, after Christmas, that's when people have had their breaking point. So they've lived together from September to Christmas. They've had a break after uh, over Christmas. Their parents will have you know maybe talked them down off their their ledge of I'm not going back to share with that person, or he does this, or she does this. So actually, January is the easiest time to find new accommodation in terms of people having left. So people seem to be have to lived together incompatibly for up to three months, and mm-hmm. that's the limit. Well,
0: that's not good news for Ed. No, no, but
1: no, that's no, news. but that's exactly why Ed's is needed because he wants uh, not he wants people. People want to live with. It's actually
5: it, great news for me because we're and all about helping people find mm. like-minded housemates. So it's all about creating those communities of like-minded people. So tell me, um, okay, we've discussed. You
1: you've lived in New York. I have. Did you share? No. Okay. Have you ever shared with uh, Have you ever shared years and
0: years ago? Well, let me just put. It's not uh, pleasant. Let, let me ju- yeah, no. But let me put another another question to you, Zan. Um, do um, co-livers s- uh, have a contract then between each other, or is it just a very loose arrangement
5: in relation to the property? Okay. So, just to go back to uh, your original question so the typical person living in co-living spaces somebody in their 20s so for example in the collective in London the average age uh, uh, of someone in that space is 29 and on the remigo platform um I think something like you know seventy percent of our members are between the age of twenty three and thirty three so the vast majority are young professionals it's, it's not actually students, some students use it as well, but it is really a young professional market and in terms of the contract so it, it totally depends on the arrangement so it could be that you're moving into an apartment and your contract is with the is with the landlord who is uh, renting that apartment with co living spaces there tends to be a few different types of models but with, with that usually what happens is you will pay um, you will pay a monthly rent which includes your bills and but it's a
1: license it's not actually called
5: a rent <laughs> It's actually a license. Yeah, that's a license. So with different. <coughs> yeah, no. My, the, my, my
0: train of thought is this: as 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 um, Carol has just explained to you, the, 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 what is it, three months and, and, and to get? Yeah, the that, that's how long people can incompatibly live incompatibly together. together. Okay. Well, even if it stretches that fur- bit further, and something happens, some you know, does he? Something does an accident or, or something like that. Or the, the guys or the girls' personality changes due to something. Uh, are you? I, I, how how can you relieve yourself of them? Shall
5: we say? Well, it, I mean, it, it totally depends on, um, you know, who the landlord is. With some co-living operators, you sign a year-long lease. That's one particular model. With other co-living operators, you actually do a month-by-month lease. So, oh, okay. so with the month-by-month lease, um, which these types of co-living operators would typically target... Um, young professionals a lot of the time they'd be expatriates moving to a new country it could be someone coming to work in Ireland for six months say to work for Google or whatever and you can do it a month by month arrangement again it's to do with the particular Mm co-living operator that you've uh, moved in with if it's in a house share situation it's to do with the landlord. What actually happens a lot is um, one person will typically rent say a three bedroom apartment and they will sublet the, the, the other two rooms and usually the other tenants will go on to the lease and landlords are largely happy with this if it, it just gets approved and if somebody moves out what you're doing is you're replacing your you in, in a typical house share situation you get a replacement mm-hmm. tenant and Romiga makes that process much easier because we can match up tenants, they they're actually finding each other on the platform. Right. So you've got say two room seekers or three. They're finding each other. They're forming groups, and then they can go to landlords and rent entire apartments. Okay, um,
0: sorry, but just be I just before we before we finish up this, I just want to find out because you were here back in January. There's been a lot of discussion about this. What is your what has been reaction like to you in relation to this service
5: to date? Well, it's actually been incredible because. <clears throat> Um, We actually went on uh, a French and German TV programme, ART. They made a documentary about the housing crisis in Dublin, of which Remigo largely featured. And that is because we've been helping thousands of expats moving to Dublin find accommodation. So for example, a French girl was working, moving to Ireland to work for Indeed. So she was a young professional. She moved over and she couldn't afford a house on her own because they're too expensive. Um, So she actually used Remigo to find other housemates so that, therefore, she had a group of people. The, the group formed up t- together, and Romigo. Then they rent and they went and they rented the house, and it's working out great. She was on the you know program, t- talking about Fantastic. her experience.
1: It's a great way to share the deposit and get everybody's name on the lease. And yeah. Fantastic,
5: I, Yeah, so we've also, we've had situations of... Uh, so it's been a positive experience yeah, for you no, then, yeah, really, yeah, with, despite all the discussion and, and so forth. So well, so we're, we're bringing it. people together and we're yeah. enabling people to rent accommodation mm. because if the service isn't there, what are you going to do? You, 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 how are you going to find like-minded people? How sure. are you going to rent that house you can't afford sure, on your own? Yeah.
1: Um, Brian mentions just a really important point. Since you've been here last there has been a lot of commentary and it has been broadly negative negative. Um, and I'm always conscious in situations like this that it's broadly negative by people who e- have not used the service but also don't today have the need for the service. So can you tell me why people
5: would choose this? Well I think the negative commentary has been around large co-living developments that are planned for Ireland. Like the the commentary about Remigra has almost been universally positive. I mean, the feedback has been incredible. Which is fantastic. Well done. Well, thanks very much. Uh, So touching with that continues. Um, So, um, uh, um, I I, I think it's, so I'm really pleased with it. And um, Um, it's helping people match up so
1: But where is the disconnect coming in you know so we've got um, people protesting about these co-living spaces coming in who will never live in them and they genuinely don't see this as an appealing option so can you tell me who is it an appealing option for
5: So the co-living um, it's all to do with the commu- creation of the community and the management of the co-living space. So just building the co-living residence is just one part of it. So it's all about the community. If you think you're moving into a space with like-minded young people, they're going to be your friends. That's actually the, the attraction to it. It's the community. we Will okay. be back in again?
1: I, I like that. So I- in future, it won't be co-living. It'll be community living. I like it. Okay, Ed Burke, f- uh, founder of Roomigo. Thank you so much for joining us. And I know the co-living conversation is just getting started. So Um, I'm sure we'll be discussing this again thank you so much for joining us so for tonight Property Matters that's it from us um, Brian Fox and myself Carol Tallon and thank you to all of our guests to Shane on sound and Katie who produced thank you so much and we'll see you again next week